You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. He scores. Number 50, Austin Matthews. And the family loves it here tonight at Mullet Arena. These are really good players here. So teams are calling more and more, asking, are they going to be available? Good morning. Welcome to Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. I am Jamie Dodd. Still, still filling in for Mike Halford today, who remains on the shelf. Halford & Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Also by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. 1170 Powell Street. Yeah, Halford was moved to retroactive IR. <laughs> We'll get into the implications of that in a second. (laughs) Uh, We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech. Yeah, we're going to bring Halford back for the start of the playoffs. And all all the other radio stations are going to be really ticked off. How is this allowed? Mm -hmm. Guy sits out, has a vacation for a couple months, and then comes back for the playoffs. But we need the $50 in cap space. (laughs) That's right. Hey, in, in this business, that can pay for a lot of salaries. Um, a dog, Laddie, what's going on, guys? Hello, Good morning. Hello. That was weird. not much going hey, on. Anything else? <laughs> that was very in unison. Yeah, of that was, that was yeah. Actually, slightly. You terrifying. guys are like a... They're just trained dogs. <laughs> They're like, hello. <laughs> we are happy to be here. <laughs> you guys are a hive mind back there. So we do. Get, get in, get out. I think say these songs hello. just create themselves I, back here. I think. I think it's weird when uh, to them when. Dodd looks at you, says morning, good morning, and he means it. Well, also, Halford's trained us to do. We he, Halford just, just you know, Jamie. He goes one at a time. Mm, yeah, yeah. A dog, good morning, and I say hello, and then he looks at Laddie and says, "Laddie, good morning to you as well." And, and he says, "Hello." So it was hello. an administrative issue. Yeah. He didn't do it properly. No, no, no. Right. Dodd did it fine. Oh, he just threw us off because, as Ruff said, I put you guys. Dodd actually spot. means what he says. Short, short, <laughs> yeah, I short circuited the routine. Yeah. yeah. Hello. Oh no. What do I do? Oh, no. He asked you like how are you doing and be like i'm not prepared for this yeah, i spent years in that hello i'm not trained for this <laughs> uh all right today on the show 6 30 kristen shilton will join us uh, from espn we'll talk all things nhl with kristen at 7 30 ian Furness from uh, kjr radio and also fox 13 in seattle canucks play the kraken tonight so we can chat with ian uh, about Seattle's season. I'm sure we can check in on uh, some other Seattle sports stories with Ian as well. At 8 o'clock, my usual co-host, Thomas Strantz, will join the show for his regular hit here on Halford and Bruff. At 8.30, what we learned, and today, only one prize on the line after the uh, the two-prize extravaganza it's a good one, yesterday. It's, it's a, good a very one. good one uh, because it is tickets to the Canucks and the Penguins on Tuesday, uh, February 27th. So that's next week. Get to see Sid, get to see Gino, get to see 
the collapse of the Pittsburgh Penguins continue potentially as Eric Carlson as, in an ill-fitting yep, role as Kyle Dubas wonders if he's going to sell off half the team here so could be a really interesting one but uh, anytime you get a chance to check out Sidney Crosby play that's pretty special so we'll give away a pair of tickets at 8 30 in what we learned you can get yours in now 650 650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line include the ticket emoji to be entered to win before we do all of that though let's talk about what happened Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit BCCSA. Dot .ca no Canucks game day off no skate no anything uh, for the Canucks yesterday bruff but still some roster news from the team yeah general manager patrick alvin announced the following roster moves uh, Dakota Joshua was placed on retroactive injured reserve next to Halford uh, Carson Soucy was placed on retroactive long term mm-hmm. injured reserve and Jet Wu was recalled once again from Abbotsford in the AHL. Now, um, I will ask you, which, if any, of these moves could be significant? I think the only really significant one here is Jet Wu coming up. And even that significant might be stretching it a little bit because I understand whenever there's these kind of accounting yeah. transactions where guys are being moved either onto IR or from IR to LTIR. Mm-hmm. I think there's always there's I see I see two reactions prominently on social media. One is oh no, Carson Soucy's had a setback and that's why they're putting him on LTIR. He's going to be out for a long time. Same with Dakota Joshua. Oh no. And the other is like oh they're opening up cap space. They're going to do something. They're right. going to make a trade here. Almost every response I saw that was related to Susie going on LTIR was like, it's Chris Tan of time. <laughs> and people wondering if this meant a trade could be coming. But unless they're keeping Susie out for the rest of the regular season, I'm not it sure doesn't that really makes make sense. sense. I think they needed to put Susie on LTI just to get the cap space to call Jet Wu up, right? Because mm-hmm. they're not sending anyone down mm-hmm. for Wu to replace. So I think it's as simple as... You know what? We need because you don't get the cap space with a guy just on IR that gets you a roster spot. They need to go on LTI to actually free up the cap space. So I think it's as simple as that. And obviously, the fact that they're recalling Jet Wu with only one game left on this road trip strongly suggests that there's a, there's a Canucks defenseman who might not be good to go tonight. Maybe yeah. maybe they'll be able to tough it out, but at least they're looking for some insurance. So I think that's the most significant one. We'll wait and see. When we hear more from the Canucks today uh, ahead of the game, you know, what if they have an update on a player who's in the lineup, who's not. But to me, that's the most interesting thing is that they might have a defenseman who's not good to go tonight. Yeah, Zadorov um, and Juleson, if I'm not mistaken, uh, got a little shaken up yep. in the last game. Both were able to finish the game, but Juleson has blocked a lot of shots in the last little while. Mm-hmm. Um, Tuesday in Colorado, the hell, as, as mentioned, the healthy scratches – were Lafferty and Mark Friedman the extra? So they had an extra forward and they had an extra defenseman. Joshua was listed as a scratch as well, but we all know he isn't healthy and now he's on IR. 
of course, tonight, uh, all eyes will be on the Canucks special teams. And the Kraken don't pose a particularly tough test in that department. Their power play is ranked 17th, and the PK is 18th. Um, is it a slam dunk that our Steve Baines stays in the lineup? I would think so, just yeah. because typically with Tockett and most coaches, but I think especially with Tockett, ice time's a pretty good indicator of who's coming out or who's staying in. Yeah. And the fact that he was playing significantly more late in that game than several other forwards, it would be odd to me to do that and then yank him out of the lineup the next game. So with the issues on the power play and the PK, frankly, now, yep. um, when is the next opportunity for the Canucks to get a good practice in? They had the day off yesterday. Um, it was a travel day. Um, they're going to play tonight, and granted, it's close by in yep. Seattle, so they, they'll be home probably after the game to sleep in their own beds. But would you get a good practice in tomorrow? I suspect they'll practice tomorrow. You think they'll practice tomorrow? I think tomorrow? they'll practice tomorrow. Because um, I was just wondering if they'd have to wait until after the Bruins game on Saturday because then they have Sunday and Monday uh, without games before the Tuesday game against Pittsburgh. Um, I suspect they'll practice as well, too, but that's sometimes when, you know, the coach will be like, these guys are tired. Yeah. They need a day. They need another day off. We have to worry about load management with these guys. And also, they've been on the road again. They need to go and spend some time with their families. I, I don't know, but I, I, I bet Rick Tockett is dying. That's the thing. Dying to have a like practice. All of those factors do weigh into the decision, but... Rick Tockett, I'm sure, is itching to have a practice. And the other thing is, they've got the earlier start on Saturday against Boston, 4 o'clock start, which messes with your normal, if you wanted to do a game day skate, that messes with your normal routine. And Tockett has said he doesn't really like morning skates anyways. Like, it's not a big thing for him. So what I would bet happens is they have a real practice tomorrow, optional, no skate whatsoever, Mm -hmm. uh, against Boston on Saturday, and then you go from there. But I I think Tockett... With some of the issues we've seen crop up specifically on special teams, is going to find a way to get that pass uh, in. Tonight's opponent, the Seattle Kraken, the Kraken are desperate for wins, still very much mm-hmm. alive for the second wild card spot in the West. They're also rested and coming off a 4 3 OT loss to Detroit at home. It reminds me a bit, or even a lot, of the Minnesota Wild before the Canucks played them where you've got an okay but not great team with playoff hopes still alive coming off a frustrating home loss. The Wild were coming off an OT loss to the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Prior to the loss to Detroit, the Kraken had finished off a five-game road trip with a win in Boston, and I think they'd beaten the Islanders the game before. So really, who knows what to expect from the Kraken? They've been a super streaky team this season. Yep. But overall, uh, uh, A-Dog tells me uh, they're what the kids call mid. Mid, yeah. They are, yeah. Def- they are strongly mid. mid. Yes, they are strongly sure. mid. Like, I, yeah. I, a fellow child. Chances are, it's mid. chances are it'll be Joey Decord in goal for the Kraken, and he's probably the main reason the Kraken are even still alive for a postseason yep. berth. He's got really good numbers. Uh, because it's sure not their wealth of superstar skaters. Um, here's a... <laughs> Here's an interesting question, and mm-hmm. we're not getting cocky. We're not getting cocky here, but this is more just Maybe a conversation a about the Kraken. No, I don't think so. No, not no, the no. way the Canucks are 
playing right now. Who do, I mean, do you think the Kraken are the favorites tonight? I Probably, bet, right? I, I don't think so. I but would, no, no, I no, mean, no, no, no. I'm talking about in your mind. In oh, your no, mind. I would have the Canucks as the favorites. You would have the Canucks yes. as the favorites? Okay. Yeah. Can I, okay. The Canucks are way better than yeah, the Kraken. Yeah. Like, I get it. Rest and all that. That plays into it. Mm. So it's maybe not a huge Road margin, game. But they're still better. They, okay. should, they should win this game. Okay. Jamie, who is the best player on the Kraken? Your candidates include Jared McCann, mm-hmm. Vince Dunn, and... I, is, I mean, Joey Decord this season? Yeah, like Yanni Gord. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. another one that occurred to me when, we were, when I was thinking about this. I think it's got to be Vince Dunn, given how important that kind of puck-moving defenseman is in today's game. I'd give it to Vince Dunn. But I think the interesting thing— That's a problem for the Kraken. 100%. That's a problem for the Kraken what I was who just are trying to say, build the a big, fan base. The and... biggest problem is that Matty Beniers is not in this discussion right now. Like, that's what they were counting on coming out of last season when he had a really impressive rookie campaign— they wanted him to see to take that next step, and it looked like he could be, if not, you know, not that he was going to launch into like the superstar level of Maybe NHL Barzell. players, yeah, or like you know, I was thinking like Nick Suzuki, sure, when in some of his best years in Montreal, right, mm-hmm. was like reliable two way center, you know, maybe more of a two C on a on a championship team, but if he's your one C, it's not a complete joke. They kind of wanted him to take that step, and it hasn't really happened for him, and that's a huge problem because. They've got. They've taken this really patient approach, right? Okay, we're going to draft. We're going to acquire these prospects. We're not in a hurry. We're not trying to replicate what Vegas has done, despite the the uh, the, the playoff win over Colorado last year. But if Beniers doesn't develop, and if he doesn't become a legitimate top of the lineup player, then you're just you're going to be mid for an awful long time if you don't have that mm-hmm. star talent to push you out of the mid zone. Do you think Shane Wright will be a player for them? I, I've said that I don't think he's going to be a player for them. I'm not hoping that the young man is a draft bust. He's sure sounds like it. Typical 20, 20 years old. Although, yeah, my ego is now tied up in it. <laughs> right? I've had an opinion, and now I hope desperately 20-year-old yeah. Shane Wright does not have a good NHL <laughs> career. But he is still in the HL. I guess he's doing fine there. Um, but this was the fourth overall pick that – you know, a lot of people when he was 16 or 17 year old was like, this guy's the first going to be the first overall pick. And he has not made any impact whatsoever in the NHL yet. I think he'll be an NHL player. But the question is, is he going to be a star? And that's what they need. Like, it's the same thing with Matty Beniers. Matty Beniers is going to play in the NHL for a long time. Mm-hmm. But is he ever going to be a player where you look at it and say, that's one of the two or three best players on a Stanley Cup team, right? And I think this is the same question with Shane Wright. Yeah, Shane Wright's going to play in the NHL, probably have a long career in the NHL, but is it going to be more as a complimentary player than a true star? And if neither of those guys turns into true stars, then Seattle's really back to the drawing board at that point. they got to yeah, figure something out. I for sure, because I think a lot of people are like, oh, Beniers and Wright down the middle, that could be good. It could be good, but it could be mid is the thing. No, yeah, no, no. But like when when people are at their highest of optimism about the Kraken, you know, when they drafted right, when he fell to them, and they had Beniers coming mm-hmm. off a decent season, Prescri- they were like, "Oh, this could be this could be a team to be reckoned with and with some star power." And I think, uh, especially in a city like Seattle, where let's face it, it's not a hockey city. Nope. You know, not yet at least. It's it's only a few hours away from Vancouver, but it's not a hockey city. It's a football city. It's a it's a it's, I think it's a basketball city. Um, you know, when the Mariners 
are good. It's, they get out of their own way. Baseball, yeah. yeah. Can be a baseball city, but it's not a hockey city yet. Let's talk about some things that happened in the NHL. Now, I'm going to have to rely on you because uh, I had my own game mm-hmm. last night. It wasn't in the NHL, but it was close. <laughs> You'll um, get there one day, buddy. It sounds like uh, there was quite a game in Edmonton between the Bruins and the Oilers. Of course, we're going to see the Bruins in Vancouver on Saturday, but uh, not until the Bruins play Calgary tonight so it'll be equal rest for both teams uh heading into Saturday's game between the Canucks and the Bruins but last night the Bruins came away with a 6-5 overtime win but the Oilers weren't feeling too bad about it I suppose because they fought back from a three-goal deficit to at least get a point yeah they so the Bruins did the Canucks a favor, but only a small favor, right? Because they prevent Edmonton from picking up the two points. So now all of a sudden with this three-game skid, I think Canucks fans looking in the rearview mirror at the other teams in the Pacific a little bit more. So at least Boston prevents the Oilers from getting the full two points. But as you said, they were also up three in the third period, and they blow it and it goes to overtime. So how, so how did that happen? Was that McDavid or – uh, it was no, actually, it was scoring by by committee. The rare scoring by committee from uh, <laughs> from from the Edmonton Oilers it was Warren Fogle, Matthias Janmark, Corey Perry. Then Boston took the lead again off a of David Posternock goal, uh, and it was Zach Hyman. Now McDavid picked up a secondary assist on that, but really, on those three goals I mentioned, that's the only point that either Drysaitel or McDavid got was one secondary assist on those four goals, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive uh, showing from the depth. I know Zach Hyman is a top-of-the-lineup player, but other than that, the depth on the Oilers getting it done. Then Charlie McAvoy scored uh, a really, really good goal in overtime to get the Bruins the win. So I guess cancel the parade at Edmonton, right? They failed to dominate another really good team. So they've been revealed as frauds, right? They didn't beat a, a good team. It's right, over. Yeah. They it's can't over possibly win the Stanley Cup, and yeah. uh, there you go. I mean, just look I'm going to make that one clip our video and tag Edmonton. Look, in. just look at their record <laughs> against the Canucks. Yeah, they're on three. They can't even beat. A, they, can, they, can't they can't even beat even, the best team in their division. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know about those Oilers. Um, so the other big news and uh, warning: there's going to be some Leafs talk yep. today. Um, not only did the oil uh, the Leafs win their fifth in a row, so they won all five games of Morgan Riley's suspension. Uh, Austin Matthews hit 50 goals yesterday and added his 51st for good measure. So he now has 51 goals in 54 games, is it? Yes. So we had 6-5 uh, in Edmonton between the Oilers and the between Bruins. Between two Stanley Cup contenders. We had 6-3 for the Leafs over Arizona with Austin Matthews getting his 51st of the season already. He's pretty much locked up the Art Ross trophy. Or not the Art Ross, the Rocket Richard. Richard. Jinx. Um, and we had a 10-7 game the other day between the Canucks and the Wild. I never thought we'd see scoring like this in the NHL unless there was some, you know, the NHL just was like, we got to get more scoring. We're fine. We'll make the nets bigger. <laughs> or, you know, fine, we'll... I don't know, no goalie equipment anymore. Like you're not allowed even the big sticks. Mm -hmm. You're just, there's just six guys in there. I never thought we'd get there. And I certainly never thought we'd get there so soon. 
it doesn't seem that long ago that we had league average save percentage of 915 and you know if your team scored um <laughs> 300 three goals, goals in a season or yeah. oh yeah, three, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 it was like it was like that's incredible yeah the high flying whoever's you know or if you were up two goals it's like it's done yeah done and dusted yes it's, this game is over that's another and that's, that's one of another. the big things we've seen over the last couple of years mm-hmm. and, and we've seen it with the canucks yeah uh, but we've seen it with the, a lot of but teams. a lot of teams is very few leads are safe now. It, two goals is real especially if it's early in the game is really not that daunting for teams to be able to come back from um, so why do you think this is? I think a huge part. So now people will point to the increased emphasis on penalties, right? And, you know, refs call the game much closer, the clutching and grabbing, the stick infractions, the hooking, all of that. You take that out of the game. It opens up more space for the skill players. I think that's part of it. But that was, that was in the league after now, the lockout. I think it's, I think it's we... ramped up, but that's the thing, right? Because you look at one of the most famous scoring bumps in the league was right after the lockout season mm-hmm. and scoring was ago. way up, but it was because there was just a parade to the penalty box. Cause they were coming. So it was just all these power play opportunities. The five on five game hadn't changed that much. I think the biggest thing driving it is guys are just way better shooters now. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's more than anything. Why we're seeing these save percentages plummet is uh, goalies are just too lazy to catch up to the scoot, the shooting skill Adapt or die. in the league right now. That's no, I, I do think that's a huge part of it is guys are better at shooting. I think it's also obviously I do think there's a more the the refereeing environment is more favorable to offense right now, but I don't think that's the main cause. I think it's the mm. shooting more than anything else. Yeah, the technology, the stick technology yeah. as well. And the technique. I think shooters yeah. are just smarter the too. They yeah. they've studied goalies. Goalies had a big jump in the early 2000s to kind of 2010, 2015, and I think now we're starting to see the young generation of shooters that know how these goalies play. They know the sharp angle plays where they mm. can hit the top right. corner. So we're just seeing a little bit more of that. It's kind of like been trickling. And now we're just seeing the damn. Do you think more open. specialist skills training with those shooters too? Like absolutely. We were, and and when, other- I, when I when I was playing hockey as a kid, it was like here's a slap shot and here's a wrist shot. <laughs> and well, if you want a snap shot, the smart you thing have is three options. A lot whoa, of shooters, whoa, 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 whoa! A lot of shooters, <laughs> slow down. Slow they're actually down. going to goalie camps intentionally. They're learning what the goalies are learning and mm-hmm. shooting at these camps so they can take that into their game and then be able to use it in a game situation and it's paying off. I think there's a tactical thing too from a team perspective, right? Is like we talk to Kevin Woodley all the time about the clear sight analytics and you know if it goes if a pass goes cross ice before a shot, like it skyrockets the shooting percentage. So Royal I think teams Road. are way more conscious about don't just fire away from anywhere, right? Yeah. If the goalie's set and there's no screen and you're 40 feet out, that's not going in. The goalie is going to stop oh, it. We have to find a way to get better shots. Think of the Canucks PK, not necessarily this year, but the years before. The years before when it was dreadful, how many cross seam passes yeah. would they allow? Yeah. That ended up behind you know whoever it was who was unlucky enough to be in goal for the Canucks that night. Yeah, you're 100%. trying to catch them in transition is what you're doing. You don't want to shoot when the goalie's set. You want to shoot when they're moving when they're not set. And I think a lot of shooters are just. Really, really good at that. And I think like there's quick been release. A, I think coaches like have, Philip Perona, quick release. Yeah. <laughs> I think coaches He's have still realized <laughs> that there's limited value in just firing away from anywhere with mm-hmm. with without trying to work it in. Now you still see some teams like that, like Carolina, right? Like Pete DeBoer is famous for that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's leaving the game and the okay. Let's try to get a good shot. Let's try to make this goalie work. Put them in a vulnerable yep. position is is way more prevalent now. Can we just talk for a minute about 
all the dreadful hockey that we saw during the dead puck era. Like, there were some oh. elements of the game that I think, I think the games were rougher, more violent. You had the more rivalries, you know, you had Red Wings abs and, mm-hmm. and you did, and you did have that element that sometimes I wish we had more of in today's game, but what was that Stanley Cup final? Well, I, w- between... I was watching a, a mid '90s clip on Twitter the other day of uh, of Lemieux and Yager just passing it around in the zone, and like literally the entire shift, someone was either slashing them, yeah, yeah. hooking them. Two, yeah. they were like dra- like Yager was like dragging two guys with him. Like it was like every three seconds there was a penalty that could have mm-hmm. been called in today's NHL. Like, I don't know how guys played like that. It was brutal. Like the year before um, the lockout was or one of the years before the lockout, I think it might have been maybe two years before the lockout, when the Canucks choked against the Minnesota Wild, and then the Wild lost to the Ducks, and then the Ducks went to the Stanley Cup final against, was it New Jersey? Like yeah. That was dreadfully boring hockey. It was terrible. And that the Wild were able to left-wing lock their way to the Stanley Cup final with that passive defensive and no one could break it, you know, that was, or however far they got, the Western Conference Conference final, you know, like that was, it was, it was terrible hockey and something had to be done about it and something was done about it. But I think what's funny and almost ironic is like, I, the rule changes definitely had something to do with it. You know, like Adog said, if you go back and watch eighties or nineties hockey, you know, there's hooking and holding on every play, and it's just expected. I remember when a hooking penalty was like, well, if the guy falls down, maybe you'll yeah. give him hooking, but you won't give him hooking if you just hook his arm back, like just take a little, like, whoop, on, on his arm. You actually had to take a chunk out of yeah, him you, while you, you, you actually him. You actually had to give him, like, hip resurfacing surgery on the ice in order to get called for hooking. But now, you know, if, if you tug at uh, an arm that's, you know, Honestly, like guaranteed, you, you you're, you're going to get a penalty, so that is different. But I think it's more about the evolution of the shooters and maybe some more willingness by NHL teams to get undersized players like a Quinn Hughes into the lineup. Who I don't know where Quinn Hughes would have been drafted 25, oh, 30 years ago, but it would have been like this guy's a real project. Yep. Like maybe he'll get in there. You know, there were undersized offensive defensemen, guys like Phil Housley in the league, and you know, like they did play, but Quinn Hughes, even compared to Phil Housley, is pretty skinny and pretty small. Mm-hmm. So I think it's mostly been an evolution within the rules of the game that occurred that didn't need a lot of outside and i i just didn't see it coming that, no and, well, I, it, and I think it's great for the game i still want more rivalries i still want the players to kind of like dislike each other a little bit more but the 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 level of goal scoring the fact that we can talk about well could matthews or any other player could we do 50 and 50 again yeah. you know is any other place could mcdavid ah, i mean maybe it's pushing it could he reach 200 points we've had defensemen at 100 points like i think it's it's great for the game um it makes the games more entertaining you're listening to the best of halford and bruff you're listening to the best of halford and bruff and what we just have to call thomas Drant's erotica Erotica. 
divorce. Thomas Grant's erotica. Expected goals. Thomas Grant's erotica. Dog's model. Thomas Grant's erotica. Regression. Thomas Grant's erotica. Petey. Oh. Thomas Grant's erotica. Oh boy. Hot and bothered in here. I just said to Jamie Dodd, that was my PDO, by the way. Yeah, and then you said, pretty hot, right? And I, <laughs> I declined to respond. I was like, I'm just going to start the show and I, leave that one hanging there. Like, I don't need a lift home today. I've got a doctor's appointment <laughs> that I have to go to. I'll just get an Uber. Jamie's slowly sliding his chair away from the middle of the table. Oh, pretty pretty hot, huh, Jamie? It's like, I guess. Like sure. That? Whatever you say, pal. What do you think of that one, big guy? Don't, don't call me big guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, welcome back to Halford and Ruffier Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd filling in for Halford. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. Also by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are coming to you live from... The Kintech Studio, Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Still a chance to get your What We Learn submissions in a pair of tickets to the Canucks and the Penguins on Tuesday. Up for grabs for the best What We Learned. So hit us up, hashtag WWL, what you learned in the last 24 hours of sports. We'll announce the winner at 8.30, but and right now. Give us now, some good ones, too. They all suck so far. Yeah, all right. There you go. You heard it from dog Everyone who's texted Come in. Come on, step up your game, people. So far. So still a wide open field. Uh, every chance to win and claim those tickets. Right now, though, we go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline, where we are joined. Uh, covers the Canucks for The Athletic. Also, my co-host on Canucks Talk, he is Thomas Drance. Drance, what's up, buddy? <laughs> Gentlemen, how are you? Uh, we're all right. Bruff is kind of coming on to me, <laughs> bragging about his sexy voice <laughs> a little bit. But other than that, uh, we're doing just great. We're getting along real well. We're getting along love real that well, Drancer. Too well. Um, what's the big thing that you're watching for tonight as the Canucks take on the Kraken in Seattle? I just think it's going to be a fun game. Like, I think it's going to be a game with two teams that feel like this is a desperation spot for them. Like, a spot where they absolutely need two points. And, you know, at this time of year, like, that, that just gets me excited. Like, I think there's going to be a little extra heat tonight. And that to me always, you know, before I go to morning skate, before I do one of these hits, like that gives me some energy like that. Uh, I'm just excited to watch. Uh, like I, I still am pretty high on the Kraken. I think they're a really good defensive team. Um, they don't quite have the same punch that they had last year, obviously, in, in terms of their offense, but they've played really good hockey the last couple months. Um, they're also in sort of a fight for their lives here. Like they need to get hot down the stretch. The Canucks have lost three in a row. We haven't seen them in that spot all year. Uh, it's just a good, like this to me, you know, I don't want to call it like a big game, but it, it's one that I think is going to have a, a little bit of extra intensity. And that to me is just exciting. Like it's, it's one to pay attention to. Hey, Drancer, uh, you know, the Canucks schedule probably better than ours. Do you think they'll practice tomorrow before the Bruins game? Hmm. You know, I mean, it's such a short trip home. Mm-hmm. 
right? I mean, players can players will be in bed by midnight. So I would I would expect they would. That said, you know, I think this is eight games in thirteen days, something like that. Like it's you know they had the back to back the tenth and the eleventh in Washington and Detroit. Um, they had a back to back the next week Minnesota Colorado. Uh, they've had a lot of games between, you know, every every second night other than that. And that's included, like, a lot of cross-continental travel. So, you know, I, I do think to some extent, um, given how condensed the schedule is, I think it's a tough one for, for Talkit. I'd imagine it is, right? Just given that, you know, the team hasn't been at its best. Like, it's played 500 hockey since the All-Star break. Um, I think you can understand why, right? <laughs> Given how many games there've sure, been, yeah. And so, you know, that said, we know what Talkit thinks of this team, which is that they play it at their best when they're practicing. Yeah, you and know where I'm going. Like, I normally don't care if the Canucks practice. Like, no, no me they either. they practice today. Oh, good for them. That's that's what teams should do every once in a while. But you know, yeah. especially if you're going to make any changes to the power play. Sometimes you like to do those on the ice as opposed to just going through video and, and, and making those changes. Like, would you expect to see any structural changes to a power play before a practice? Yeah, I, I look, the, I think the first unit, with the exception of uh, Elias Lindholm, I mean, they've played thousands of minutes together, five on four, right? So, I, I, you know, if you give them a morning skate, and a, and a pre-scouting meeting, I think you have a fair bit of faith that they can adjust, right? That they can be effective nonetheless. Um, you know, I, I think if they do practice tomorrow, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do, what you'll see is them not take morning skate on the Saturday, right? So it's it's going to kind of be like one of those steel hits the ice once between games sort of approaches. That would be my expectation. Um, you know, is, is reps the problem with the power play? Like, the power play's struggles of late have been really pronounced, right? Because it's not just that they've only scored three goals in, in nine games since returning uh, from All-Star. It's that they've allowed three against, right? Like, they're net zero over these nine games, and that's, and that's hurt them, right? I mean, this is a team that, since they've come back, their five-on-five game's been really good. They've outscored opponents by six. Um, the efficient finishing that has characterized this team season still exists five on five, but does not exist anymore. Five on four, right? The, the power play itself, like all the underlying numbers there, all the, the, the underlying profile of the power play in terms of the rate at which it's generating shot attempts and shots goal um, and scoring chances, all of that's like very consistent now versus what it was prior to the all-star break. It's just that the goals have dried up. Like the the shooting percentage has gone from nineteen percent for PP one prior to the All Star break to about six percent. Um, there there's sort of more going on under the hood, right? With Miller in the bumper, he's taking the bulk of shots. The team's really struggling to get shots from their perimeter guys. So Hughes, Besser, Pedersen through um, over the last nine games. I, I don't know if that's noise. I don't know if that's a result of something like more of those shots not being set up by Miller. Yeah, right? I think Given isn't... that he's not a, in a facilitating spot. But, I mean, there's a real chance that what we're seeing is like a short-term percentage, like shooting percentage hell moment for this team. 
and and that it's not really anything of long-term concern. And yet I watch it play and I'm just like, man, it looks so much more dynamic when Miller has the puck more. So, you know, can practice sort that out? Like is practice what they need to sort out their special team struggles? Cause that's, what's kind of been holding them back of late. Um, you know, that, that, those are the sorts of decisions that I think get really difficult for a head coach, for a, for, for a head coach like Tockett, especially given what he prioritizes and what he thinks about this team and what he thinks they need at this time of year. Don't you think Miller has the best passing vision on the power play? I think Miller has the best passing vision on the power play of just about everyone in the league, with the possible exceptions of McDavid, Kucherov, and if you want to make the argument for Miko Rantanen, I, I, I won't argue with you too much, but I, I'd probably put him you know, third on that Mount Rushmore. I mean, I don't think it's the best on the team. I think it's one of the best in the league. One of the best I've ever seen. Like, mm-hmm. I think he's a savant. I think he's a, a genius, an orchestrator when it comes to the power play. And, you know, that said, like, there's ways to facilitate from the bumper. It's just that usually the bumper is a weapon. The guy in the middle, like, it's almost mislabeled, right? Uh, that's something that um, I remember Adam Oates told me, right, was that, you know, wh- why do you call it the bumper guy? I don't call it the bumper guy. And, of course, so it's popularized the one three one. And I was like, well, what do you call it? And he was like, well, I think they should be called the cheese because they're a weapon, right? Like the guy in the middle is, is a primary weapon. And that's how Miller's operated there since they moved him there. I mean, he was taking 11 shots an hour from that, you know, flank spot uh, on his downhill side. That number spiked to 26 over the last nine games. He's doing, he's doing the right stuff. Like that's, that's what you want from a guy in the middle. I, I you know, yeah, uh, the way that he operates on his downhill side is is brilliant, but I, I sort of think that from Tockett's perspective, my guess in terms of why they've gone to this alignment is that they want to force more movement, right? If Miller's going to naturally gravitate behind the net, out to the side, does that force his teammates to move a little more, uh, maybe a little bit more like they were playing in those first two months of the year when this power play was, you know, a nuke for this team, like a, mm-hmm. a true atom bomb. Um, you know, I, I, like, I, I don't really know that answer. Uh, so it, it's sort of hard for me to criticize. I, I guess overall, though, what I'd say is as bad as yeah. the results have been, the underlying form's still there. I, I still believe that, like, this team can be effective with Besser, Pedersen, and Hughes up high five on four. Like, I don't I, – I think as good as Miller is, in terms of making plays on, on, on that downhill side, like I think he can be effective down lower in the bumper too. And I think this team can be effective with that alignment. So, you know, I, I get it. I've, I've, I mean, Jamie will tell you, like put the puck in Miller's hands has been like a long-term take of mine. This isn't a new thing for me, mm-hmm. but I also sort of look at this and think this should still work, whether or not it's exactly the way we draw it up or not. Um, can you tell us how much the Canucks have made progress at five on five this season compared to the first, I don't know, 20 games that they played, um, compared to this point right now, how they're playing at five on five. So since about mid January, their five on five games been exceptional, like really, really good. Um, now, it hasn't been as good for the last two weeks as it was for the, that sort of stretch 
uh, in the last two weeks of January. Like there was this moment in, in late January where the club was pretty regularly like demolishing opponents, like playing like at an elite clip five on five. That road trip back East had, there were some dominant games. Yeah. Yeah. Where it was just like a, you know, um, what the NBA wishes the all-star slam dunk competition still was. That's what the Canucks were doing on on that Eastern (laughs) conference road trip. And then, and then since then it's kind of faded a bit. Right. And you know, not that it hasn't been good, but it's been like top 10, right. Which is a a dramatic improvement over where where this team's been for like much of the last five years, Mm -hmm. but isn't the, you know, uh, elite elite performance that we saw from this team for eh, two weeks stretch in mid January. Uh, and prior to that, right? Like there were, there were points in the season in, in October and November and, you know, granted this team was leading by so much that it slants the, the data a little bit. Like this team had so frequently put their opponents like, you know, sweetly to bed Yeah. <laughs> by the middle, middle point of the second period that, uh, obviously, they were going to get outshot a little bit, but there, I mean, there, there were points in the season where their five-on-five profile was actually pretty soft, where they were getting carried a little bit by goaltending and, and power play excellence. Um, we sort of saw this team um, find a, a pretty solid level five-on-five, like almost in late November when they were not playing that well in terms of the results, like when they had an extended 500 stretch, not not dissimilar from what we're seeing now. Um, but their defensive game was at such a high level that it kind of like buttressed that, like it allowed them to overcome it. Um, you know, then they kind of went up a level. And so, yeah, we've seen this team, I think, get more comfortable, uh, get better at playing Rick Talk at hockey. I-, I think one thing this team's done well all season is that they play like a, a thoughtful game, right? Uh, in terms of the way that, you know, Hughes has been like self-matched to JT Miller and, and that's kind of helped Miller handle toughs, right? Then Pedersen plays more with the other defenders. So you've got your best two-way driving forward playing more minutes with, you know, your, your Tyler Myers class defenseman helping them control play. I mean, there, there's been a really thoughtful approach to everything from matchups, uh, tactics on and on. And then additionally, like I do think this team's a pretty aggressive group right the the, tactically this team is super aggressive um it's not unheard of although we don't see it every night for this team to be in like a a two one two uh four check like with with both uh with the tip of the spear going pretty deep uh into into the opponent's zone Mm -hmm. um so i think what you see sometimes is this team controls play especially if you can't break out cleanly uh, against them. And and that's almost something that we've seen the Canucks be on the other end of a fair bit. Um, but now, you know, they're, they're pretty capable of doing that. And I think that was sort of one thing that was interesting uh, about like this, this last run of games, right? So the Jets, I think won that game on Saturday because they were pretty consistently able to break the Canucks four check, right? It was like, um, like a quarterback finding the answer on a zero blitz, right? Like the, the Canucks were, the Jets were able to connect that five or six tough passes and basically pass the puck into the Canucks net on two consecutive shifts. And that was the game. Uh, Colorado, I was sort of curious to watch it because Colorado is like the best at that in the league. And the Canucks did a great job taking away space, like their neutral zone wedge work, their, their four check work. Um, but you know, that's to me the part of their five on five game that's most interesting now is 
I think teams are, are a little bit more they're, – they're, they know what to expect a little bit more, and sometimes they handle the pressure a little bit better. And when they do, there are going to be chances. But, man, it, it's really tough to unlock this team. Five on five. The defensive side of it is there, and then the Hughes-Heronic side of it, which is when Hughes and Heronic get on the ice, you can literally just see the game bend in the Canucks to the Canucks' will. They start to generate – just zone time that leaves opponents hanging on by their fingernails. And those are sort of the two key drivers here of this team's five on five improvement. This top pair totally changes the environment every time they're on the ice. Even if, you know, I'd still like to see the Canucks generate a few more scoring chances if they were going to be like at even strength, if they were going to be a real elite five on five team. And then their defensive game is just so good built off the back of that aggression uh, it takes a lot. Like it takes a really special team level game and team level move uh, to generate the sorts of chances where you're like, wow, that's a really good scoring chance. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it comes off the rush. And man, if, if your weak spot as a team five on five is like, well, if you make six consecutive plays under pressure, we're going to be vulnerable. It's like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good, that's a good place to be vulnerable. Right. Cause it's hard to do. Sorry, just adding, uh, driving the tip of the spear deep into the Thomas Drantz erotica list. Uh, Drancer, uh, um, what have you thought of Elias Lindholm uh, so, so far? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, Elias Lindholm. Um, <laughs> I think we've got the floor per- stuff from Elias Lindholm. You know, like I think you've seen the fit stuff well. In terms of, you know, like, it's hard to talk about in some ways because the PK hasn't been good on the whole, but it kind of has, aside from one absolute meltdown in Minnesota, right? Like, I think he's been useful on the PK. Um, Now, the PK's sputtered of late. I, I think they missed Dakota Joshua a fair bit. But could you imagine how much more they'd miss Dakota Joshua if they didn't have Elias Lindholm? You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where, yeah, you lose Lindholm, or sorry, you lose Joshua and you have to press other guys into more duty shorthanded, um, Miller in particular. And yet the amount you'd have to rely on on some of the guys you would rather marginalize, four on five, um, you know, is, is like less because they have Lindholm. The power play, you know, at the end of the day, like, he scored there. He's been dangerous there. And his shot rate is higher at the net front than Andre Kuzmenko's was. Like, he, he plays a more straightforward game. I'm sure the team's happy with that ad, even if the power play's not on fire, right? Like, even if he's still integrating into that unit. And then five on five, I, I mean, I don't know. I, it doesn't feel like they've found a fit for him there, right? Like, it, they haven't found that lightning in the bottle fit for Lindholm at five on five, where it just kind of clicks where he's like elevating a line mate. Mm. Um, so, you know, he's, he's played in a variety of different alignments here. He's played center while Miller's played wing. He's played wing uh, with Patterson. He's played center with Patterson. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that we've seen any of those. We, we haven't seen lightning strike any of those combinations of five on five and, you know, he's been like he he's been good. I, I think he's been good. I think he's been solid. I don't think he's elevated this team's five on five game at any point yet. But it's only nine games. You know, I, I think you go through this adjustment period and then 
part of the logic of acquiring a guy early is, you know, you hope that he's fully settled uh, 20 games from now, um, at which point the games, you know, are about to start to matter. And, and that's kind of where the Canucks are at, right? Like you'd rather be dealing with this now than dealing with this with five games to go before the playoffs start. And, and so um, I think, I think, you know, jury's out fundamentally jury's out. We need to see more. He needs more time in fairness. And uh, I think we'll know in 20 games. It certainly hasn't been, you know, like uh, the, the lightning hits and it it all is like clear and perfect. Uh, It certainly hasn't been that type of first 10 games for him in a Canucks Jersey, but I think there's been a lot to like, and I think you've at least seen the fit side of it. Even if, you know, he, he's not like a, a top of the lineup driver, um, in the way that you maybe hoped he could be um, through his first sort of small sample here. Transert, thanks for doing this, man. Uh, hopefully it's a good one tonight, and uh, we'll catch up on Monday. Cheers, gentlemen. Bye. Hi, that is Thomas Drantz uh, from The Athletic. And, of course, Canucks talk as well here. Do you miss Sports them? <laughs> So I will say this. I people like it's fun to to rip on Drance. I obviously I like doing the show. I like mm-hmm. working with Drance. I I am a big um a change is as good as a rest guy. So I like the variety. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it not because I'm like, oh finally I get away from Drance, but I just like switching things up and doing a different thing. You can get show. down to some lowbrow humor on yeah, the exactly. Halford and Ruff show. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh speaking of lowbrow, we're gonna do what we learned. I have a what we learned that I really want to get in. Okay. So I know we're running late here, but this one's just so important and a little lowbrow. Uh, my what we learned is that Major League Baseball has a major pants problem on its hands. We got a pants problem. Specifically, that the pants are not doing what I would argue is one of the primary jobs of pants, which is preventing people from seeing what's underneath the pants. So it's spring training now. You know, mm. all, all the teams are releasing uh, publicity photos. Major League Baseball, I guess, Fanatics has designed their uniforms now this year. So it started off with the jerseys. There was a lot of complaints. These look <laughs> cheap. These look like jerseys. Brick, now we're are seeing you saying that there's a party in your pants and that I'm invited. Now we're seeing pictures of players in the full getup with the pants with their jerseys tucked in, and the pants are see through. You can see the shirt tails of the jersey oh. tucked in. Through the pants. They're going to have to bring pants. in the Lululemon PR person. <laughs> Apparently. Because this is like bo- absolutely blatant how cheap and transparent the material is. Don't you hate pants? <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was it's coming. fanatics before the it. season. Guys, do we really need pants? We have like eight pants drops. I got to use them all here. Okay? <laughs> we have a surprising amount of options Why do we have so many pants? pants drops? You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.